We left off in chapter 12. So why don't you grab your Bible? Ezekiel chapter 12 is where we are. The book of Ezekiel is quite a ride. We've seen him uh, giving, you know, pantomimes and theatrical, you know, uh, displays of truth. Um, he's not been using words as much because the people, by the time they were hearing Ezekiel, they weren't listening. And they'd rejected, you know, Jeremiah the prophet, Ezekiel, um, and, um, you know, even Isaiah the prophet. Like, there's so much that the people have done just to reject the word of the Lord. And so this is where Ezekiel is saying, um, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord says, uh, I want you to be seen but not heard. Um, you know, the actions that you'll, you'll you know, display will be lessons for the people. And so here in chapter 12, we come up with a, a sort of a two-act play. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to see how Ezekiel sort of acts out these things, um, little dramatic interpretations and what have you. Uh, scene one, act one, I guess I should call it, is really verses one through 16. Act two is verses 17 through 28. Uh, in chapter 12. So let's take a look at act one here. What's, what's Ezekiel gonna do? It says in verse one, the word of the Lord also came unto me saying, now pause right there. Come on, Brad, get past verse one at least. Well, well, actually, this is an important thing. Did you know in this, in this chapter, five times will Ezekiel say this phrase, the word of the Lord also came unto me saying, why five times? Verse one, right here, verse eight, verse, verse 17, verse 21, verse 26, all have this phrase, the word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, uh, the word Lord, there's Jehovah. Now, the reason I think he had to say this is because there were many prophets, remember, that were running around both in Judea and maybe even in Babylon by this time that were saying they had the word of the Lord, but they really didn't. And these prophets that were true, man, they had to remind them, this is the real word of the Lord. What I'm, what I'm about to share with you is the real deal. And it's, it's not my word that I just made up. You see, people making up words, that was commonplace at that time. Just making up stuff. Um, man, I hope this is, this is one of the main lessons we get out of the book of Ezekiel, at least this first half of this book, is you just can't make stuff up. Making it up, even though it sounds holy and religious and righteous, if you make stuff up, it can really get you off course uh, down the road quite radically. Um, and that's why we're gonna be reminded tonight to be sticklers to doctrine, to what the Bible actually teaches. And that was Ezekiel's challenge. He, he was trying to get the people to understand, this is what God is really saying. Um, and that's why I think he employs this phrase five times over and over again. The word of the Lord came unto me saying. There's another phrase. Let's see if you can catch it as we get into tonight uh, that we'll, we'll catch on as we get uh, later on. But this is, a, this is one of the phrases that we're gonna see a lot of. And it's just the Lord speaking to Ezekiel and then this is what he tells him to do. Verse two. Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and they hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Eyes to see, ears to hear, but they don't see and they don't hear. 
Um, the implication of that, a person that sees stuff and has ears to hear, but they just totally ignore the truth. Um, I, I always marvel at how the Bible is so relevant for today. There's so many people today that they can see what's going on. They have eyes, they have ears, but somehow they've been deceived to believe lies, even though it's really clear and, and even very obvious. And one thing we have to remember, you know, when, when it comes to some of the debates that are going on today in, in politics or in medical science, so-called, um, and, and you're seeing stuff being said about this or that, the other thing, and you're like, how can people believe that? Um, well, you have to understand, it's not a, a, a physical, real, tangible, touchable problem, it's a spiritual problem. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, darkness, and what have you. And, and, and you have to understand, eyes are being blinded, ears are being deafened, uh, so that people will not receive the truth or not believe the truth. And this is where Ezekiel finds the people. The Lord says, man, the people, they have ears, they have eyes, but they can't see and they can't hear. So two plus two equals five. And you better believe that. Um, but it doesn't look right. Who cares? Your eyes are deceiving you. Uh, it's funny how we, we see the parallel here of the rebellious people of Israel and the rebellious world that we live in today. And this shouldn't shock us. Second uh, Timothy, if you recall, jot this down in your notes. Second Timothy chapter four, we're reminded of what things would be like in the last days. In second Timothy chapter four, verse two, it says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But thou watch in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I love this because not only does Paul tell young Timothy the, the ministry and training, minister and training, he says, man, things are gonna get rough where people won't endure sound doctrine. They'll have itching ears and they wanna hear stuff that only fulfills their own lust. That's where we're at, you guys. We have to acknowledge that. It's, it's what the Bible predicted. We shouldn't be shocked. But what Paul does is not only gives us the what, but he also gives us the how. How do you proceed with that kind of a behavior? He says, preach the word, in season or out of season. Just preach the word, not preach your next you know, finest ideas or what's in your brain. No, preach the word. That's why, you know, at AC, we're just really, really committed to saying, let's, let's just stick with the Bible. Let's go verse by verse through the Bible because that's what we're supposed to be into. Not the latest hippest book or series or movement or any of that stuff. We gotta say, let, let's stick to God's word. It's the rock that we can put our feet upon. It's, it's sure, it's immovable, it's unshakable. And so we're to preach the word, but then he also says, uh, but watch thou in all things, watch. We're to be watching what's going on around us, watching the signs of the times, watching for Christ's return. Watch, he says, in all things, endure afflictions. This is one that I started to tap into at the Prophecy Update, um, you know, how we might have to be gearing up as a church, even though I believe the rapture of the church is gonna happen before the tribulation really uh, gets kicked into gear. But even still, you and I, we can face real 
affliction and persecution. We're starting to see that. Did you see the video footage up in Canada last week when that pastor got arrested uh, for just teaching the Bible? Um, in London, another pastor arrested for teaching the Bible. And these guys weren't you know, angry, hateful guys. They were just saying, here's what the Bible says about marriage and what have you. And two guys in Canada and in London, I think that's where we're headed. Um, but be that as it may, what are we supposed to do? Preach the word in season or out of season. And, and uh, it says, and be ready to endure affliction to do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist uh, tells people the gospel message. We're, we're called to be evangelists and show people the good news. That's what an evangelist does and make full proof of thy ministry. In other words, you know, withstand the test and uh, do the right thing and make your ministry foolproof is the idea. So when you get to those days, Paul says, when people have itching ears and they, they, they you know, get you know, teachers that will only tell them what they want to hear and things that make their ears tickle, uh, then what are we supposed to do? Preach the word, exhort, rebuke, um, you know, with all long suffering and patience, uh, good doctrine. Well, that's what we're called to do. That's what you and I are called to do. But that's what the people of Ezekiel's day refused. They didn't want to hear truth. They didn't want to hear the word of God. And so when Ezekiel would say, thus saith the word of the Lord, you know, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, and the people just checked out, said, we don't want to hear it. Well, the Lord says, Ezekiel, that's where they're at. Their ears, they don't hear. They have Bibles, but they can't see. Verse three, therefore, thou son of man, prepare thee stuff for removing <laughs> and remove by day in their sight. And thou shalt remove from thy place to another place in their sight. It may be they will consider, though they be a rebellious house, that they, uh, that then shalt thou bring forth thy stuff by day in their sight and uh, as stuff for removing. And thou shalt go forth at even in their sight as they that go forth into captivity. He's doing this act, this drama, where he's loading up his stuff. Um, you might say baggage or luggage uh, is the idea. You know, the obvious, you know, it's not that he's just grabbing stuff. It's, it's like if you were told to get out of your house because there was a fire or something wrong and just grab whatever you can, grab your stuff and run. That's the idea. It's not just you know, pulling up a U-Haul and, and loading up all the stuff. This is like grab whatever you can. The, the symbology here would be of them fleeing Jerusalem when the Babylonians would come and take them into captivity. So he's supposed to be like in a hurry, demonstrating, here's what you guys are gonna be doing, grabbing your, you know, your family photos and your favorite things that you can load up and running for your life. That's the idea. So that's what Ezekiel's gonna do. He's gonna grab his stuff. Um, and then he does another funny thing, verse five. It says, dig thou through the wall in their sight and carry out thereby. So, so what's going on? He's supposed to dig a hole in his wall and sort of, you know, uh, Shawshank Redemption kind of thing where he's digging a hole through the, you know, you understand it's not drywall and two by fours and stuff. This is rock walls that they built these houses with. And so, so you know, Ezekiel's gotta get out probably the pickaxe, you know, and start picking away and tearing down his, his wall and then makes a hole and then grabbing his stuff and going through the hole in his house. Can you imagine what the people must have thought of Ezekiel? What a wacko. Oh, but it gets worse. Check this out. 
So he's supposed to dig a wall, a hole in the wall in their sight, carry their stuff out. Verse six, in their sight thou shalt bear upon thy shoulders and carry it forth in the twilight. Thou shalt cover thy face. Uh, this is apparently, they had to wear masks back in those days too. <laughs> I, I'm more along with Paul the apostle on the road to Damascus, but um, Damascus. Um, sorry. Thou shalt cover thy face, and, but it's not your mouth. He's covering his face and his eyes. Check this out. Cover thy face that thou see not the ground, for I have set thee for a sign unto the house of Israel. Okay, now he's got to carry his stuff through the hole that he put in his wall, and he's got to put a towel over his face so he can't see where he's going. Uh, wow. Uh, they must have thought Ezekiel just lost his marbles altogether. But... I love verse seven, mark it well, verse seven, and I did so as I was commanded. Don't you love Ezekiel? These guys that just did what the Lord told them to do. I liken you know, Ezekiel to Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. These prophets that just said, here am I, send me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And Ezekiel, we don't see him complaining or griping or grumbling. He says, okay, Lord, this is what you want me to do, I'm gonna do it. I love people that just kind of go and do what the Lord has called them to do with a little bit of a reckless abandonment. You know, just to go and, and just do it. Let people's thoughts about you or impressions of you, you know, let it just fall by the wayside. Who cares what they think? I'm gonna do what the Lord calls me to do. We're so worried about what people think of us, but Ezekiel and these prophets, these guys had, it seems here like they had no care of that whatsoever. So he did what he was commanded, verse seven. I brought forth my stuff by day as stuff for captivity. And in the evening, I digged through the wall with my hand and I brought it forth in, my, in the twilight and I bear it upon my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning came the word of the Lord unto me saying, there it is again. Son of man, hath not the house of Israel, the rebellious house said unto thee, what doest thou? Say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord God, this burden concerneth the, princes, uh, the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are among them. Uh, the Lord says, has anybody asked you, Ezekiel, what, what, what in the world you're doing there with your stuff, going through the hole with a towel over your head? When they ask you, the Lord says, here's what you tell them, this is what's gonna happen to the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are among them. Now there's an interesting thing about this. Who are we talking about, the prince in Jerusalem? Ezekiel does use this term a couple times, but he's speaking of none other than Zedekiah. But he's not calling him the king. Zedekiah would eventually be the king in Judah when this prophecy was going about. But you never see Ezekiel willing to call him the king. Because why? Well, if you recall, Zedekiah was sort of a puppet king of the Babylonians. He was put into place there. And he was a total loser. And so it's almost like Ezekiel never gives him the full credit of being king. Ah, the prince. And by the way, in Israel, there were princes among the leaders. They were the young, you know, uh, up and coming uh, politicians and leaders in Israel. Um, so really, you know, Ezekiel's sort of just kind of putting Zedekiah down as sort of a, just a prince in Israel, a leader. Um, but the Lord is saying this, this prince here, uh, Zedekiah, he's gonna go out through a hole in a wall with his stuff and he's not gonna see, be able to see where he's going. Now, if you know this story, you realize, wow, that's actually pretty specific. 
and it's actually pretty accurate. It's exactingly accurate of what would happen to Zedekiah. Um, uh, We'll look at that here in a minute. But verse 11, it says, say I am your sign. I I am your sign. (laughs) Like as I have done, so shall it be done unto them. They shall remove and go into captivity and the prince that is among them shall bear upon his shoulder in the twilight and shall go forth and they shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. He shall cover his face that he shall not see the ground with his eyes. Um, uh, My net also will I spread upon him and he shall be taken in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the Chaldeans yet shall he not see it though he shall die there. Now, we've talked about this mystery. Uh, this, is, this is kind of fun because um, I've heard critics of the Bible say, well, which one is it? Did Zedekiah go to Israel, Babylon or did he not go? Um, and there's, there's uh, an apparent um, controversy. It never really is, but it's an apparent controversy that skeptics have liked to criticize the Bible for. By the way, even Josephus, he was that you know, first century historian that wrote a bunch of history about the antiquities of the Jews is what it's called. It's, a, it's not armchair reading. It's, it's like a five volume set of, of ancient, you know, a guy in the first century writing about Moses and uh, Zedekiah and the Old Testament. And, and he worked for the Roman empire. And, and people, um, this, this historian, people used to question, is Josephus, was he making stuff up to sort of appease the Romans? And there, there's a big debate on who Josephus was. But as it turns out, Josephus, this ancient historian, he's been proven to be really accurate both with the Bible and also as we uncover archeological digs. Josephus, pretty legit dude, if you ask me. Now, the reason that's interesting is Josephus is not the Bible, but he gives us more information about the Bible. For example, Moses. Uh, Josephus writes about Moses. Before he was even 20 years old, he conquered Ethiopia for the Egyptians. And he brought home all kinds of wealth Uh, As a 19 year old kid, Moses came. He was a war hero by the time he was 20 in Egypt. Um, Now that fits by the way, the biblical narrative in different ways that we could talk about. But one of the eras that Josephus spent time talking about was this era. And uh, Josephus writes some stuff that's kind of interesting about about the contradiction here. And um, he writes that King Zedekiah did not believe Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. He chose to reject them. Um, we know that from the biblical narrative, remember? Uh, the king just would hear you know, Jeremiah and throw him in, in a dungeon and say, get out of my face, I don't believe you. Um, and even when Jeremiah would come, he'd say, come on, tell me the truth. And, and Jeremiah would tell him the truth and Zedekiah would just blow it off every time. But Josephus says the reason, this is interesting, the reason that Zedekiah chose not to believe particularly Ezekiel and Jeremiah the prophets when he read about himself in their writings is because they contradicted themselves whether he would end up in Babylon uh, and see Babylon or not. Where would he die? Would he die in Jerusalem or would he see Babylon? And where did that confusion come from? Well, it comes from sections like this. Verse 13 says, "Um, I, I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it no, he shall die there. What's that? Well, let's go back. You can jot it down or flip back there really quickly if you can. Uh, Jeremiah 32, we went over this, oh, about a year ago now. <clears throat> uh, Jeremiah 32, verse four. 
It says, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him mouth to mouth and his eyes shall behold his eyes and he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord. Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not prosper. So you got this strange mentioned that he's gonna go with Zedekiah. Zedekiah's gonna go with um, you know, uh, the captives into Babylon. Now, back up even further still to 2 Kings chapter 25. And this is where we read the actual story. 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 27. It says, and it came to pass in the seventh and 13th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the seventh and 20th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon in the year Jehoiachin, wait, let me, am I in the right place here? Verse six, thank you. I'm not sure, oh, right. Let's, let's start, I was in the wrong part of the chapter. Start in verse two. And the city was besieged in the 11th year of King Zedekiah on the ninth day of the fourth month. And then verse four, and the city was broken up and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city roundabout and the king went the way toward the plain. So there's these two walls and they sneak through a hole in the wall to get out of the city, ring a bell. And so they sneak through this wall and they go out toward the plain and the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up um, to the king of Babylon, uh, to Riblah, and gave judgment upon him. Listen, and they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. So Josephus said the reason Zedekiah didn't believe is because um, one prophet said, you won't see Babylon with your eyes. The other prophet said, you're gonna go to Babylon and you're gonna die there. Well, which one is it? Contradiction. It wasn't a contradiction. He would go to Babylon, they'd poke out his eyes so he couldn't see and he would die there. Like it's really a sad, pathetic story of Zedekiah. But according to Josephus, that's the main reason Zedekiah rejected Ezekiel and rejected Jeremiah is because of the contradiction of the two true prophets that were speaking in that time. Now, we, we don't know that for sure. You can ask, you know, uh, Zedekiah. Well, probably not. I'm not sure he went north or south. But, um, but you could ask Ezekiel and Jeremiah when you get there, is that what was going on? But, but we do know that today in colleges and universities, those skeptics and cynics of the Bible, they like to say, see, there's a contradiction. And they somehow didn't catch up with what the Bible actually says. And they talk about apparent contradictions. Watch out for those guys. They, they always say there's contradictions, but they really are not. Uh, be careful with that. Um, so we see here uh, in Ezekiel chapter 12, this is where he's talking about, he will not see Babylon, but he will die there. All the confusion is cleared up when you actually see the way the story literally happened. Um, I love that, I love that. By the way, no matter what topic we're talking about, when, the, when it comes to the um, authenticity and the truth of the Bible, um, be really skeptical if somebody comes and says, the Bible's full of contradictions. Um, and then if you ask them, well, where, where can you just give me one? Give me your top biblical contradiction. I've noticed in my you know, experience, most people, they say, well, I heard that from someone somewhere. So they don't have one. 
Um, but if you have a person like my college professor at Southern Oregon University, when I was at school there in a secular college, and that prof said, the Bible's full of contradictions. And I said, well, can you tell me one? I raised my hand and I asked that question. He said, well, I don't have my notes or my Bible. And I pulled my Bible out of my backpack. I said, I have my Bible, here you go. Show, show me like just one contradiction. I don't know. I, and I said, you, you don't really have them because, and then, he, and then he tried to bring up some contradictions that were so elementary and embarrassing. Uh, I remember he brought up the, the whole, um, you know, whales cannot swallow a man uh, argument. Uh, and it's a contradiction to say that a whale swallowed a man or, or that Adam and Eve took a bite out of an apple. At that time, Time Magazine did this big full, like four page article on why the story of the Garden of Eden could not have ever been true. And it's because there are no apples in that region of the world and there never have been. And, and, they, and they, they made this whole, you know, academic thing. And it was quite a scholarly work how there were never apples uh, in that region of the world and blah, blah, blah. And then all the, all, all the, all us Christian pastors all came and said, uh, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple. It was a piece of fruit. Are there any fruit pieces in that part of the world? Other than all the college professors and what have you. <laughs> but, uh, but be careful when you hear these esoteric guys waxing eloquent and they sound so good as they puff their pipes and wear their cardigans and all that. They look really impressive, but they really do fall short when it comes to having real contradictions and real troubles. Uh, be careful when you hear that. Don't just, especially if you're a young person. Oh, young people are being told such untrue things. Um, and the problem is, I think the world is becoming more and more wacko because we've had years now, decades of college professors feeding our young people total lies and misinformation about history, about society, about sociology and psychology, like the, all the ologies have been really contorted and tweaked. And we wonder why our society is so tweaked out. Be wise, study the scriptures, be, uh, be aware that there's a bunch of craziness out there. Well, all that to say, um, this, is, this is the confusion that was brought up, whether, where Zedekiah would die, but Ezekiel made it clear. Verse 14, and I will scatter toward every wind all that are about him to help him and all his bands and I will draw out the sword after them and they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries. Now this verse 15 is talking about something we're gonna get into in depth later on in Ezekiel, the diaspora, where God disperses the Jews over all the nations, over all the world for almost 2000 years. It's a huge part of Israeli history. It's maybe one of the best arguments as to why the Bible is true, um, is the prophecy of the diaspora. We'll talk about that later. Verse 16, but I will leave a few men of them from the sword, from famine and from the pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the heathen, whither they come, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, eat thy bread with quaking and drink thy water with trembling and with carefulness. Now this is, uh, by the way, act two. Uh, what's he supposed to do? Quaker oats? Sorry, he's supposed to eat his bread with quaking. Uh, with, with Quakers? Like, do we gotta go to Newburgh and find some Quakers or? No, the idea is to shake. And, and, and why is he shaking? The idea is anxiety. He's supposed to eat his food anxiously. Um, 
<laughs> and so that's what he starts doing. This is act two, uh, eating food anxiously. He just dug a hole in his house and had a towel over his head and carried his stuff out at nighttime. Now he's eating his food in front of everybody with anxiety. <laughs> and it says, um, uh, verse 19, and say unto the people of the land, thus saith the Lord God of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and of the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with carefulness or anxiety and drink their water with astonishment um, that her land may be desolate from all that is therein because of the violence of all them that dwell therein. And the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall be desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. One of the things that you know we humans like to do is in our leisure, uh, eat meals together and just have meals and, and as part of our uh, entertainment for some of us. Uh, some people eat to live, some people live to eat. Uh, it depends on who you are. But these people are just gonna be trying to stay alive and they're looking around anxiously and just trying to get some calories because how horrible things are gonna be. And Ezekiel was supposed to act that out. Verse 21, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, what is that proverb that ye have in the land of Israel saying, the days are prolonged and every vision faileth? What do you think that means? There was a saying in Israel, ah, the days are prolonged and the vision fails. Well, let's read on and we'll see what it's saying. Verse 23, tell them therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will make this proverb to cease and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say unto them, the days are at hand and the effect of every vision. For there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged, for in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and will perform it, saith the Lord God. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he seeth is for many days to come and he prophesieth of the times that be far off. Therefore say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, there shall be none of my words prolonged anymore, but the word which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. This is human nature at its worst where the vision that was given by the true prophets, not the false prophets, the true prophets, the vision that was given was being, um, you know, there was an attitude that had developed and a saying, a proverb in the land saying, oh, you guys have been saying this stuff forever. This stuff's gonna come. And your vision has been prolonged. That's the word prolonged there. It's just never coming to pass. But you see, there's a, a way that human nature thinks. When you start thinking, ah, it's not gonna happen in my lifetime. Ah, the rapture of the church, the end times. You guys, Brett, you've been talking about that for years. But here the Lord says to Ezekiel, okay, people are saying that, but it's gonna happen now. It's gonna come down now. And it did. And the people who said, ah, oh, now it, it, that way of thinking, by the way, evolves. Did you see that? Um, back up in verse 22, the proverb said, the days are prolonged and every vision faileth. It goes from saying, ah, oh, it's not gonna happen in a long, long, long time to it's just not gonna happen, it's gonna fail. <clears throat> the prophecies, the vision, it's just gonna fail. And here's the truth of the matter. 
today, and I say this sadly and, and uh, humbly, I'm not saying we're an amazing church because we teach Bible prophecy. I'm just saying every church should be teaching Bible prophecy. But what's amazing is that churches are ignoring it and saying, ah. in fact, they've gone from saying, ah, that's not gonna happen. The Lord's delaying his coming. I've been hearing this since I was a kid about the rapture. Grandma was talking about the rapture of the church. It went from that to churches now say, there's no such thing as a rapture and the tribulation. And we're living in a kingdom now and, and dominion theology and all this theology that, you know, the Catholic church and the Presbyterian church and all kinds of churches, big churches, big denominations. The reason they don't talk about Bible prophecy is because they don't believe in it. And to me, the church is so much poorer because of it. And we're told in the Bible to not make the same mistake of these people here in Ezekiel chapter 12 and 13. These two chapters, this is where the people were saying, yeah, it's not gonna happen, whatever. Prophecy, prophecy. Meanwhile, you and I are living in days. Now you say, but the difference between Ezekiel's time and our time is the Lord's telling Ezekiel, tell him, yeah, there's no more prolonging of days. It, it's here, you've arrived. And then shortly thereafter, the Babylonians came and showed that Ezekiel was correct. So you're saying that we're just like Ezekiel's day, but how do we know that the Lord's not gonna prolong his days? Maybe the rapture of the church is not gonna happen in our lifetime. Maybe, you know, you're wrong about the possible. Now, remember, nobody knows the day or the hour of the Lord's second coming or the rapture of the church. We don't know when that's gonna happen, but we do know the signs of the times and the seasons that we live. And the Lord has given us, not like Ezekiel, it's, it's up, time is up. But he is saying, you'll know when the time is near. And what are the signs of the times? Oh, uh, listen to our prophecy updates. We, we really do go into the signs of the times and what the, that's why we do it once a month on a Friday night uh, to say, let's, let's see what's going on in the world to see if the signs that we're seeing are uh, signs of the end. Are you wondering what's going on in Jerusalem right now? It's, it's actually kind of an amazing thing. We talked about this Friday night. I didn't know it was gonna ignite exactly uh, perfectly like we were talking about. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, more than 1,500 rockets fired from Hamas over the border from Gaza into Ascalon. I've been to Ascalon, uh, took a, um, an armored vehicle <laughs> with a friend, uh, a couple friends, and we shot some video and stuff, and it was fun. Um, but right, literally, you, you know, rockets, you know, in fact, in 20 minutes, 400 rockets flew over the border and it overwhelmed. I always talk about the iron dome, the dome, the Israelis have a, the iron dome system that, you know, shoots these rockets out of the sky. But in this case, there were so many rockets. Some people are saying the iron dome was malfunctioning. Others are saying that, um, it's just, they got overwhelmed. There were too many rockets all at once, 420 minutes. Um, 1,500 over the last couple days. Um, if you haven't seen the video footage of this, you know, it looks like the 4th of July in downtown Portland, but it's not fireworks. They're real missiles that blow up real buildings. And they're just blowing up in the sky because Israel has the technology to shoot it all down. Yeah, but what about that? Those mean Israelis uh, shooting those poor Palestinians missiles out of the sky. Can I just say the narrative in the news is pathetic? You know, rockets after rockets flying over the border. Well, Brett, those Jews don't deserve to be there. Oh my, 
the narrative. You know, people think that it's, um, it's about religion uh, or it's about land or it's about this or that. It, you know what it is? It's a spiritual demonic battle that's going on for that region of the world. Jerusalem is mine, saith the Lord. Israel is the Lord's and God gave, man, I could go into this long time, but God gave the Jews that land according to the Bible thousands of years ago. And you know, after the League of Nations uh, felt guilty after World War II and the Holocaust where the Jews had no place to go, finally they, they, the world granted them that land to live there. And, and, and so the Palestinians who are really Jordanians, honestly, uh, many of the Palestinians, sad to say, are pawns. And I feel sorry for the Palestinians, many of them. But I do not feel sorry for a violent terrorist group called Hamas funded by the Iranians. Those missiles are becoming more and more technologically savvy. They used to be so easy for the Jews to shoot down, but now the, the rockets are becoming more powerful. I, I heard a, um, an expert uh, Israeli talking about how these rockets are more high tech and where did they come from? They've come from the Iranians. The Iranians wanna blow Israel, the Jews off the map. And if you're one of the kook people who are saying, um, you know, the Jews are mean aggressors, you, you don't know anything about that region of the world. I've been there a, a lot of time, spent a lot of time in Israel, in Jerusalem. And, and here's the truth. This is how you know who's really the aggressor. What would happen if the men and women uh, and the soldiers and the you know, violent terrorists of Gaza, what would happen if they laid down their arms right now? What would happen? Peace. There would be peace. The, the Israelis do not just fire rockets across into the Gaza Strip. There would be peace. What would happen if the Jews just laid down their arms today? Total annihilation. And it's been that way all the way since May 14th, 1948, when the Jews became a nation, the five Arab nations the next day attacked Israel. The Jews didn't have any military, but they miraculously, biblically proportioned defended themselves. You see, I think that there's been this narrative from a bunch of people who really don't know what they're talking about, talking about like the Jews being the, did you see the CNN guys today talking about the Jews are just arbitrarily shooting at skyscrapers in Gaza and just, you know, and killing women and children. And, and you know, the Palestinians, they love, they love it when women and children are dying because they can put it up on the news. Look what these Jews have done. They're killing all these women and children. Um, what really happened, if you know, even slightly, like this is really not even hard to find, the Jews will say that building there, we know that it has rocket launchers and it's got uh, whole battalions and uh, loads of weapons. And, and so they literally, the Jews will call that building, you know, like look it up and say, okay, we're about to blow this building up. If you wanna live, you need to get out of this building because we know it's a place of stockpile weapons. So they warn them. Then the Jews will fire these little tiny rockets that will go and just kind of knock on the roof of the building, like literally, and the, the people in the building have to say, oh, wow, well, well uh, we gotta get out of here. And so they get out. Um, and, and then the Jews blew th this one particular building where you saw all over the news, uh, several places in this tall building uh, and the buildings, they're worried about it coming down. But, um, but everybody was gone out of the building. How did that happen? It happened because the Jews are not trying, they're, tr they're doing it as strategically and carefully as they can, surgically striking where, where the uh, missiles are being stored, where they're being launched from. Um, 
the, but, but that's the attitude of the Jews. We're trying to have as little collateral damage. They're killing commanding officers and, and people that are firing rockets. But if you look at what the Hamas is doing, they're arbitrarily firing 1,500 rockets without any guidance across into these cities in Tel Aviv and even trying to reach Jerusalem with these rockets. And they're hoping to kill women and children. That's what's actually happening. And sadly, uh, you know, normally the Jews get hit because they're you know, knocked in the news because nobody ever dies in Israel. Like, would it be better if children died to make it balance out? Let's have some death in Palestinians and death in Israel. Well, the Israelis have, have they're, they're a modern people. They're a very westernized. There are uh, allies in Israel, in the Middle East. They're our only real ally in the Middle East. And Israel has defended herself quite well. And then this, this last couple of days, soldiers and children, people have been killed in Israel, which hasn't happened for a long time. And, um, and the world almost acts like, oh, finally, some Jews are dying in Israel. Listen, if you're one who's saying, um, you know, we need to have a two-state solution or those mean Israelis, not only read history, maybe more importantly, read your Bible. The Lord says, I will bless the nation that blesses Israel and I will curse the nation that curses Israel. And the nation that curses Israel will be cursed. And the Arab nations have been cursing Israel for, uh, you know, for a long, long time. And we wonder why there's a curse there. The Bible makes it clear. So if you wanna follow the academics and the CNNs and the Wolf Blitzers and, and be in this little crazy la-la land of thinking that you know, the Palestinians uh, are, are really the ones who deserve to live there and the Jews are just these mean aggressors, man, you've been sold a bill of goods and, and it's, it's pretty gullible to believe all that. If you look at real history, which uh, man, I, again, I could talk about this for hours, uh, but if you look at the real history, you will, you will realize this is a biblically proportioned demonic kind of attack on God's people. I'm not saying the Jews are always good. I'm not saying they're perfect or sinless. Uh, largely Israel is atheist right now. But God has a plan for the Jews. And, um, and, and if you stand with the Jews, the Bible says, I will bless you. So be careful, don't get sucked in, don't go on your social media and start saying, oh, those Jews, you know, like, like all these other things. Uh, read your Bible first and foremost. Um, and we're supposed to be supporters of Israel, we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's what the Bible says. Now you say, bro, what does that have to do with Ezekiel? Nothing, no, I'm just kidding, no, no, actually very much so. It has to do with the signs of the times. The Bible says in the last days that there is gonna come a war where all the world is gonna set its sights against Israel and against the Jews. Anti-Semitism around the world is on, on the rise. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, you know, some people, if you, if you don't know what to listen for, you might say, well, Biden was really nice about the Jews when he was talking about the Jews today, when he finally addressed the situation. But, but if you really listen to what he really said and through his uh, press secretary, um, you actually think it's, if you really think about it for a second, it's horrific. We're going back to the Obama days where we were the un most unfriendly administration to the Jews uh, in history of the United States. We're going back to that. Well, what was wrong with what he said? He said, you know, we need to, you know, everybody needs to calm down. There be, needs to be a more measured response. Um, measured response? What would, what would we do if say China 
started launching missiles from a submarine and started blowing the daylights out of Washington, D.C.? What if China launched 1,500 rockets in a 24-hour period toward Washington, D.C.? What would we do? Would we, would we want to give a measured um, attack or would we go back to shock and awe and, and blow the daylights out of that submarine or whatever we had to do? Like, like it's so hypocritical, you know, um, we, we, uh, we have something happen, you know, in, in the United States, like 9-11, which is a bad thing. And we blow the daylights out of several nations. And, you know, like, and we could argue about whether it's right or wrong, but the truth of the matter is, um, the Bible just says, listen, the world's gonna hate the Jews. And there's gonna be this gathering of the nations against Israel. Uh, you know, it starts, I think, with that Gog-Magog invasion of Ezekiel 38, which we'll get into in a few weeks. But it also kind of culminates at the very end with the Battle of Armageddon, where all these nations come to that region of the world, the Valley of Armageddon, where we're gonna see the last battle where the nations gather. And what we're, what we're seeing, I hope you're understanding, what we're seeing is the world uh, changing their attitude to hate Jews more and more, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and we're seeing this narrative that the Jews are the mean aggressors, even though the Arabs have this huge region of land and the Jews have a tiny speck. See, that's the problem, these, these oppressors, the Jews. Um, if you took a football field and you sh showed that all the Arab land is represented by one football field, including the touchdown end zones, how much of that football field would be Jewish owned or Jewish land? It's really easy to do the math. If you do the math, one square foot of that football field would be Israel. The rest of it would all be Arab lands. So here's the Jews trying to survive on their one square foot while the Arabs have a football field. And the Jews are taking their little one square foot and they're farming and, and inventing and science. And they're, they're the only nation in the Middle East that's like really doing really well. That's why, by the way, the Saudis and uh, Bahrain and Morocco have signed treat, peace treaties with Israel because Israel's got so much to offer these nations. Um, and, uh, and they're just saying, man, we need protection from the crazy Iranians. That's why we're seeing peace deals, you know, the, the Abraham Accords that we've seen Israel sign in the last year. We're seeing that because Israel's the only squared away country in that region of the world. Meanwhile, our academics and our mainstream media is all saying, those Israelis are oppressors and they're occupiers. And it's just anti-Semitism. That's what you're seeing. All, you know, um, gussied up to look like Wolf Blitzer. And uh, what's the other dude? Uh, I don't even want to say him. Uh, these, these guys are horrible. They're, they're haters of the Jews. Um, but all that to say, uh, be careful, folks. Don't get sucked into the worldview that goes with the end times scenario. And, and, and the reason that's important is because here in Ezekiel's time, they said the days have been prolonged. And, and really that's the attitude of the church largely today. The Presbyterians don't even believe in the Jews having their own land. The, 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 the side that's, um, that voted, there was a split in the Presbyterian church over this and some other issues. Um, but does Israel have a right to exist is the question. Um, and there's churches that say no. How can that be? A Bible reading person get to that? It's because of deception. And people saying stuff like, ah, prophecy, and the days are prolonged. 
Um, Let me remind you about what Jesus said about this in Matthew 24. Listen as I read this. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour you think not, that's when the Lord is gonna come. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord made ruler over his household to give him meat in due season? Listen, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find him doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in the day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he's not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him with his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But are you saying the people that are denying the coming of the Lord are gonna be in hell? All I know is this, there's the wise servant here that Jesus says is watching and waiting and working for serving the Lord, ready for his return. The wicked evil servant said, ah, the Lord delays his coming. You've been talking about this forever. And so you start doing what? Partying down, because you can, you can sin, because you don't really think the Lord's coming back right now. So party it up. Punch your brother in the face. Um, by the way, in John, 1 John 3, it says, he who has this hope of the Lord's return purifies himself. If you believe the rapture of the church could happen tomorrow or tonight, you're not gonna do a bunch of sinful stuff, go punching people in the face and going down and you know, looking at pornography and doing stuff that's evil and you know, getting drunk all the time. If you think, man, the Lord could come back tonight, you'll be purified. But the wicked servant does sinful stuff and he says the Lord delays his coming. You know, Second Peter says, you know, in chapter three, it says that um, in the last days, there'll be scoffers. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? So was it in the time of Ezekiel and the destruction of Jerusalem? So it will be in the time of the end. People will say, ah, God's prolonging this whole thing and it's not even gonna happen anyway. Like that's the attitude of these people. Let it be a warning to us. We're seeing Jerusalem being attacked crazily right now as I speak. And it's just again, signs of the times. Now, is this the big one? Don't know. Could just be one of the birth pangs the Bible talks about. You know, like when a woman is, the Bible says like, uh, uh, you know, going in labor pains, they become more intense and more frequent than the baby comes. Maybe this is just another war of Israel. They haven't called it a war yet, but I'm sure it's headed there. Um, Is it another intifada war or something like that? I don't know, but it's another birth pang, I think, at least. But this could be the thing that triggers some of these battles like the Gog Magog invasion. Anyway, that's what we learned from chapter 12. Let's quickly uh, take one more chapter because I wanted to get through chapter 16 uh, tonight. <laughs> but let's just, do, uh, let's just do chapter 13 and then call tonight. So it says, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say, thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Oh boy. Do you remember these prophets were doing the same thing with Jeremiah? Remember the the guys that were getting on the horns of the bull going and acting like they were gonna charge ahead? Thus saith the Lord. And these dumb prophets were saying that everything was gonna be rosy. Um, But actually everything was not. 
Remember there were some prophets that in two years time, we shall live in peace and harmony uh, with Babylon. Two years came and went and the Babylonians were getting ready to crush Jerusalem. These were prophets that were false prophets. Where did they get their information? Where did the false prophets get what they were saying? Well, this verse tells us amazingly in, in two places. Verse two, it says, out of their own hearts. That's interesting. And also verse three, following their own spirit. It wasn't the Lord, it was their own hearts. Have you ever heard that dumb phrase, just follow your heart? Go with your heart. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Don't follow your heart. Your heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That's the heart of man. Um, I wonder how many sermons are prepared out of the heart. I'm just sharing from my heart. No, share from the word. Let's get the word of God. That's what Jeremiah was doing. That's what Ezekiel was doing. These prophets, the false prophets, were sharing from their heart and from their own spirit. Sounds so warm and fuzzy, but it was actually quite evil and destructive. And the problem is the people tended to listen to these false prophets more than they would listen to the guys who were sticking to the word, like Ezekiel and like Jeremiah. You know, I gotta say, I'm really thankful to be a pastor of a church like this. I marvel, um, you know, we, we, we see people leave. Uh, even tonight, I think people have already got up and left. Um, <laughs> I'm used to it. Um, but I really am thankful for a church that's willing to go through the road. I mean, here we are in, in um, the city of Portland that, man, if you don't live in Portland, uh, Portland is like Armageddon in a, in a little small way. If you drive downtown Portland, it's, it's hor like, it's so sad. I used to think Portland was actually one of the most beautiful big cities around. I mean, I, 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 I think Portland, it looks like Armageddon downtown. Um, there's, there's whole websites that, document what Portland looks like now and, and it's, it's horrifying. There's video of uh, ladies that are selling meth and screaming at people because they didn't pay and pulling out weapons from her back uh, Glock 45 uh, and, and, you know, and screaming at people like, this is what downtown Portland looks like in broad daylight. Naked people running around. Uh, um, people like, like, it's, like it's just a crazy stores of closed um, it's, it's just really something. It, 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 it's kind of amazing that you and I live so close to that. And, uh, and, and we live in one of the most unchurched cities in America. Meanwhile, here at Aetha Creek, we're seeing kind of a revival. We're seeing more and more people piling in saying, what does the Bible say? <laughs> Let's go with the Bible. See, I love that I get to be a pastor of a church. And, uh, and I, I honestly thought, man, the more I teach the word, probably the thinner it's gonna get. But I've noticed here at Athey Creek, our front door is much bigger than our back door. There's a lot of people leaving the back door. They say, I don't know if I like what you say about marriage and about the Israelis and about this and you know, wokeism and, and all that. And people get all upset, up, up in a tizzy about this and that. And they, there's some that leave, but I think there's more people that are saying, man, we're just hungry for what's true. And that's what I think we're seeing both here in the building, but maybe even more so online. Um, it's amazing to me what the Lord is doing around the country with these studies online, live and, and also those watching uh, after the fact. And I, I, I really feel like the Lord is doing something here that's kind of unique and it's, it's exciting. I love to be a part of it. And I, I think it has nothing to do with uh, anything that I do or Athey Creek is. I think it's the word of God that's living and powerful. And I, I just wanna say, if you're a pastor listening, 
Don't be afraid to teach the word. People are hungry for the word of God. Get into the scripture uh, and forget your heart and forget your spirit. Go with God's word and it'll be a, a winning compilation because people want to know what the Bible actually says. Well, that's, that's, what, that's what it says here about these, these prophets that were for their own thing, but they've really seen nothing. Verse four, O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Um, this is probably speaking of Israel's moral walls that were in collapse um, because their physical walls were still kind of standing. So some Bible scholars wonder is maybe the Lord saying figuratively your, your walls are gonna fall apart. Maybe, maybe both literally, I don't know. Verse six, they have seen vanity and lying divination saying, the Lord saith and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have ye not seen a vain vision? And have ye spoke, not spoken a lying divination? Whereas you say, the Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken. This is what the Lord says. I've not really told you any of this. You're saying, thus saith the Lord, but it wasn't me. Therefore, verse eight, thus saith the Lord God, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord. And mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel, neither shall they enter into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Um, interesting that, um, that you know, they said they, they're false, they're saying one thing, but they're not gonna be approved, they're not gonna last. They're not gonna be written as it says here in the writing of the house of Israel. What's the writing of the house of Israel, anybody? Yes, the Bible. Uh, we might say the Hebrew Bible because it's uh, Genesis to the end, you know, in Malachi and the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's our Bible too. Uh, the New Testament and Old Testament are interesting terms that we could talk about, but, but these books and these writings aren't gonna make it in the Bible because they're not inspired word of God. Um, one thing you gotta understand is watch out also for these college professors are saying, the book of Enoch really should have been in the Bible or the book of Jude or the book of this or the book of that, uh, the lost books of this and that or the other. Forget that. Uh, there's, there's a measurement that the early church fathers had as they sought the Lord and equally as inspired as the guys that were writing the word of God, those early fathers said, what is the word of God? And they compiled, it's called the canon of scripture. The word canon means read or measurement. They measured and said, is this the word of God or is it not? And the word was compiled. Now, there's a very academic and esoteric thing we could spend hours and hours talking about, how the canonicity of scripture is legit. Or we could just say, and this is really where I land on the topic, we can just say, listen, um, as the Bible was inspired as they wrote it, so too the early church fathers as they compiled it, they were equally inspired by God to put the Bible together. And thus, we have a book that has got no contradictions, 1500 year period it was written, uh, three different continents, 40 different authors, some shepherds, kings, prisoners, you know, doctors. Like we've got all these different authors uh, over 1500 years and, and we've got this perfectly complete and correct book. That's miraculous. Um, but that's why the, those prophets of those days didn't get in the Bible because they were false and they didn't make it.
That's what the Lord says. I'm not gonna let that get into my, my writings of Israel because it's false. So even though Enoch was a character in the Bible that we like, even though Enoch is quoted by Jude in one verse, Enoch, the book of Enoch, didn't make the canonicity of scripture, and I'm good with that. I've read the book of Enoch. It's interesting, but it's not the inspired word of God. Are you guys with me on that? That's important to know. Um, Verse 10, because even because they have seduced my people, saying peace, and there was no peace, and one built up a wall and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. Say unto them which daub with untempered mortar, that it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower and, um, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall and a stormy wind shall rend it. Your wall's gonna be beat up by a wind. Lo, when the wall is fallen, it shall not be said unto you, where is the daubing? Wherewith ye have daubed it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will rend, even rend it with a stormy wind in my fury and there shall be an overflowing shower in my anger and great hailstones in my fury to consume it. Um, so basically their work is unsound. They think it's gonna stand, but it's gonna be easily blown over by the wind and it'll come to nothing. It sort of reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Remember when Jesus said, the wise man built his house upon the, but the foolish man built his house upon the, and when the winds come and the rain comes, the rock, the house stood. But when the winds came and the rains fell and the house I built on the sand came a tumbling down. Remember that song we sang in Sunday school? We need to bring that song back. That was a great old song. Um, but that's what he's saying here. Their little construct of safety and protection was just untempered mortar and it wasn't gonna hold together as much of what people are trusting in today. It's untempered mortar. So verse 14, will I break down the wall that you have daubed with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that the foundation thereof shall be discovered and it shall fall and you shall be consumed in the midst thereof and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath upon the wall and upon them that have daubed it with untempered mortar and will say unto you, the wall is no more, neither they that daubed it. To wit, the prophets of Israel which prophesy concerning Jerusalem and which seeth visions of peace for her and there is no peace, saith the Lord God. All of this is about the false prophets building and constructing what they felt in their soul and their heart, but it was all just a wall that was crumbling. Do you wanna hear about the prophetesses? Huh? Prophetesses? Were there prophetesses? Of course there were. What's probably one of the most famous prophetesses in the Old Testament? Yeah, Deborah might be the the most famous. Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, was called a prophetess. Interestingly enough, there was a prophet named prophetess named Huldah, and there were gates in Jerusalem named after the Huldah gates. You can see those; they're 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 um, blocked over. Uh, you can't go through the gates, but you can still see the ancient gates of the Huldah gates. The prophetess Huldah. Um, um, Noah died as another prophetess of the Bible. So there are these prophetesses, and there were true and right prophet, prophetesses but there was a bunch of false prophetesses. How many times can I say prophetesses? Let's read verse 17. Likewise, thou son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people which prophesy out of their own heart. So these are false prophetesses. Uh, Out of their own heart and prophesy thou against them and say thus, uh, thus saith the Lord God, woe to the women that sow pillows 
and to all armholes and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and will you save the souls alive that come unto you? Now, was that the most confusing verse you ever did read? She sewed some armholes and pillows. Is this the my pillow guy? Uh, and what's, go, is, what's going on? Okay, um, the reason this, and, and some of your translations are even more crazy. Uh, it's worse than the King Jimmy. Uh, and you're like, what in the world are we talking about? Uh, some of yours, was it like uh, charm bracelets uh, or magic? <laughs> you know, like what's going on here? Well, the reason there's confusion is in verse 18 and also in verse 20. We'll come to that in a second. There's a word that's used nowhere else in history. No, and it's only used just here in the Hebrew Bible. So even the Jews to this day, if you ask the rabbis, what is the word here? They say, we don't have the foggiest. It's a word that somewhere went extinct and we don't know exactly what it was. But there are some uh, word studies and linguistic people who have deduced what was probably going on here. And you know, the, the bracelet idea with charms and stuff, that's probably what this stuff was. There were women that were claiming to be prophetesses, saying that we are gonna make these veils and scarves, flowing scarves that have meaning. And we're gonna have you wear charm bracelets that were magical. And they would make you, you know, successful and be protected and all this stuff. And it was really superstitious paganism. And, and, and by the way, when you study this and go deeper, it, it kind of is a new age sort of thing that they're talking about here, which is really weird. New age is nothing but an old lie. Do you know that? New age started in the Garden of Eden when uh, you know, Satan approached Eve and said, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. That's new age. New age is an old lie. And it's been around long before Shirley MacLaine uh, and Oprah. <laughs> uh, it's, but it's alive and well today. Uh, and we're, we're to have nothing to do with that stuff. So these little charm bracelets of magical and stuff like that. Um, verse 19, and will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die? By the way, the slaying of the souls and the hunting of souls that's talked about here probably is reaching back to the uh, Babylonian paganism I was telling you about last week, uh, Nimrod. Remember Nimrod was the mighty hunter against the Lord? Some say this is the hunting of souls that has to do with the Babylonian paganism. Again, it's a, it's a deep study. And if you wanna dive, there's, there, you, can, you can find experts who write about this, but it's, it's a, kind of a difficult passage to, uh, to understand. But it's basically these people doing pagan things. And these women were leaders of this kind of paganism. So um, this idea of slaying souls and what have you. Verse 20, wherefore thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against your pillows. My pillow? Your pillows wherewith there hunt the souls to make them fly and I will tear them from your arms. To make souls fly probably means to kill their soul is the idea. Um, and I will tear them from your arms and let, them, let the souls go, even the souls that you hunt to make them fly. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted and you shall know that I am the Lord. These, these people were trying to catch souls and maybe even kill them. But the Lord says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rip that all up and tear up your little goofy uh, paganism. Verse 22, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. 
and strengthen the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Therefore, you shall see no more vanity, no more divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The, the phrase that I told you about uh, at the beginning of our study was the word of the Lord came unto me saying, five times tonight we read that phrase. But there's another phrase that was said five times. Anybody wanna take a stab at what it was? Yes, the last phrase we read tonight, and you shall know that I am Jehovah, the Lord. Um, you can know him by accepting him and believing his word and repenting and being saved or you will know him ultimately in his wrath and his judgment. God is kind and compassionate and gracious and gentle, but he's also full of fury and wrath and judgment and righteousness. And the question is, which side of that are you on? And it has totally to do with whether you're gonna follow his word uh, or gonna go with the world. Go with the scriptures or go with Satan. It's just that simple. And sad to say, um, there's so many people that are making the wrong choice. I hope you've chosen. I hope everybody online, I hope you've made the right choice to follow and believe in the true word of God. It's where, it's where we find absolute perfect truth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. I pray that it would do its work now and that we'd not be sucked into worldly ways. And today we see really the same thing, Lord. False prophets, people sharing from their own hearts and from their own souls, but not really your word. I pray that we'd be able to rightly divide your word as when it's true and when it's just people's ideas. Um, give us discernment in these days, Lord. I pray that your word would just be uh, remembered and stuck in our hearts, Lord, and that it would bring forth good fruit. Bless these people tonight, both here and online, who've taken this evening to, to do some difficult studies and difficult passages, but Lord, we're just thankful these reminders are good for us. We do take time, Lord, tonight to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm so sad to see the, the, the children that have been killed, both sides, really. Um, and, and we do grieve for so many of the Palestinians that are sort of stuck in a, um, between the Jewish state and the, uh, the violent terrorism of Hamas. And, and so many of the Palestinians just want to be peaceful. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, put your hedge of protection around those that would seek after you first and foremost. But I do pray, Lord, that you'd be preparing Israel for that day when they shall open their eyes and see that you are the Messiah, that Jesus was their Messiah that they missed. We pray that that day would come sooner than later. We know when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, ultimately that means that Jesus is seated upon the throne there on the Temple Mount. When that happens, there's gonna be an everlasting righteousness and peace, Lord, your word tells us. So give us that hope. I pray that you'd give um, the United States wisdom, Lord. I pray that this current administration would somehow learn or see how important it is to be uh, supporting the Jewish state according to your word, Lord. Give us wisdom in that. Um, forgive us for bad decisions on that. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd put your hedge of protection around the Jews. Even tonight, as rockets are flying, we pray your covering on them. In Jesus' name, amen.